God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for uh, coming to earth, uh, coming to a lost and desperate world, um, leaving your throne uh, just to make the ultimate sacrifice for us. Thank you for hope. Uh, I pray that you would strengthen us with that thought, God. And I pray that you speak through Michael and you'd speak into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Stay standing for just a moment. Um, again, we are in the middle of uh, a long series on our statement of faith, and as we celebrate Advent, we also talk about the person of Christ and who He is. And so would you uh, say with me uh, our statement of faith as it deals with the person of Christ. We believe that Jesus Christ is God incarnate, fully God and fully man, one person in two natures. Jesus, Israel's promised Messiah, was conceived through the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He lived a sinless life, was crucified under Pontius Pilate, arose bodily from the dead, ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of God the Father as our high priest and advocate. And you may be seated. Tim, are you in youth? Are y'all messing with the projector? We're off center. Can we, can we blame y'all? Not words cut off over there. No, we won't do that. Um, if you would open to Hebrews chapter two uh, this morning, uh, back us a little bit as we've been talking about the person of Christ. We began talking about the fact that He was the bread of life. We celebrated the Lord's Supper uh, that Sunday, um, and then our response to that, because He gives freely of His of Himself because He gives to us uh, what we need, that our response to that is that we should also give freely to others. Uh, We have been blessed with, uh, at the very least, spiritual gifts and talents that God desires for us to use in His body. And so are we using what He has gifted us with for the sake of someone else? Uh, Sacrificially so. Last week we talked about Jesus being uh, Messiah, and one of the consequences of that was... um, God fulfilled His promise to the nation of Israel and to us that despite us, despite humanity, despite our inability to to please Him or to do what He asks, He remained faithful to us. And so again, our response is, are we remaining faithful in our relationships? Uh, Even when others uh, don't treat us well, when we're tempted to say, you know what, I've just kind of had enough of, of you. Are we remaining faithful in our relationships? Uh, From the very least of continuing to pray for one another uh, to using our gifts and talents to being involved in one another's lives. This morning we're going to look at at Jesus as our high priest. That last line of uh, the statement of faith is Jesus our high priest and advocate. And actually over the next two weeks uh, we're going to be in Hebrews talking about the fact that Jesus is our our high priest uh, and our advocate. If you look at Hebrews, there, there are several ways you can kind of work your way through Hebrews, several kind of um, defining ways of, of making sense of that long book. One of those is there are five warning passages in Hebrews, and some people have chosen to kind of interpret that through those warning passages. There's a, a reason that they are where they are, and that they in, sort of increase in intensity as you go through the book. Another way to define the book of Hebrews is um, the writer continues to compare Jesus to other people and other things. Jesus is better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than Abraham. He's better than Melchizedek. He's better than the covenant, the law. 
And so people choose to, to work through Hebrews kind of in that defining motif. What's interesting is there's a, there's a phrase, a, a way that Jesus is described that runs all the way through the book of Hebrews. Another way that people talk about it and, and, and make sense of the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is our high priest. A dozen times in the book of Hebrews, Jesus is called our high priest. And then another rather large handful of times, that phrase isn't used, but that's the context of the passage. That Jesus is the high priest and there are certain things about him being the high priest uh, that is important for us and our relationship with God. And so this morning we're going to look at a couple of those from Hebrews chapter 2 and also Hebrews chapter 10. Um, of what it means that, that Jesus is our high priest. That's difficult for us because in our tradition as Protestant Christians, we don't have, uh, many of us don't have priests. Uh, there are some in here who grew up in a, a Catholic background, so there's, there's at least that word is used uh, and similar ideas to an Old Testament priest. But we don't really, we don't really have priests most of us grew up in a tradition where we have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And, you know, I, I don't need Tim or, or Rusty or, or John to, inter, to be an intermediary for me. The good news, the, the really great news is, is that I can go to God and be in His presence without having to either bring a bull or a goat or to have someone do that for me. I don't have to have a priest. And so... We struggle with, okay, Jesus is our high priest, that's fine, but what does that really mean? Um, maybe a, a similar idea for us is, is we think of that we need and we value friendships. Now, Jesus is at, very, at the very least that, but he's also a whole lot more than that. Uh, but we think about friendships, and some of us long for deep friendships because we really want ultimately someone not only to know us well, but then in knowing us well to accept us. There are others of us who kind of shun friendships because we really are afraid that no one knowing us well really will accept us. And so there's that tension, and some of us bounce back and forth between those two because there is that tension of a long for a friend but deep inside, we know that nobody sitting in this room can do for us what we ultimately need. Because even if they do know us well and accept us and love us, there's nobody in this room that's all powerful enough to really solve our deepest issues. They can certainly help us walk through those. They can point us in the right direction. But there's nobody in this room or outside of this room who's all-powerful and can make the difficulties of life go away. And so maybe the closest thing to uh, when Jesus talks about, or when God talks about Him being a high priest, is the idea that we see in, in chapter 2. So if you look there beginning in, in verse 14. The writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the seed of Abraham. 
and we know through faith that we are, the Bible says, children of Abraham. This is not just talking to Jews. Therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that, in that which he, was, he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. So the first place that Jesus being a high priest mentioned in Hebrews is right here. And he's categorized in two broad categories. He's merciful and he's faithful. And really every other mention of Jesus being a high priest, we could fit into one of those two categories in Hebrews. He's either merciful towards his people or he's faithful towards what God, his Father, is calling him to do. And that's good news for us. That's the kind of friend that I long to have. That's the kind of friend that I hope you long to have. Someone who is merciful, someone who knows me like I am, and yet still desires to enter into that relationship and offer me mercy. Who doesn't give me what I deserve, which is to be kicked to the curb, ultimately. And someone who's faithful, who will stick with me through thick and thin and good and bad. And, as we read in the first part of that, someone who really is all-powerful, who, who has the ability, who has defeated death for me. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I need. That's what I want. So he's merciful and he's faithful. But specifically in, in Hebrews 10, if you'll turn over there, we're going to begin back up in verse 11 and, and read through, uh, down through verse 25, bits and pieces of that. Um, we'll look at two big ideas this morning. Um, and then we're going to look at two more next week. First, uh, he has given me what I need. And second, he's allowed me to draw near to him. He has given me what I need. And he's allowed me to draw near to him. Look at verse 11. Every priest, he's talking about the, the priests in the Old Testament, every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. He's given us what we needed. What I wrestle with is, is, is that what I want? Uh, this time of year, we, you hear the question a lot, what, what do you want for Christmas? What do you want for Christmas? Well, think about it. What do I want for Christmas? What would I like? What would I like to be gifted with? What would I like to see under the tree that I could unwrap and go, Ah, I wanted that. And as I've been thinking about that this week and that question, you know what it really boils down to? Think about the things that I want. and Think about past Christmases, things that I've gotten that I've wanted. You know what I really want? I want something that doesn't wear out and that is useful. I want something that, that, that I can use and keep on using. 
over and over and over and over again. And then it, it's, it stays functional. It doesn't go out of style. Uh, something better doesn't come along to replace it. It doesn't wear out. And in all my longings for other things, which usually includes lots of books, right, I want that next book to be the one that, right, I mean, has all the answers. I mean, I know this one does, but I'm hoping someone will write something that I'll go, yeah, that's one that I can keep reading every year and it'll be beneficial. And I think what really is going on is that, that God has placed in me and in you this deep longing for something that is useful and beneficial that doesn't wear out. And lo and behold, He provided that for us when He sent His Son as a baby. Because my deepest need ultimately is to be forgiven. See, because I've set up my own little kingdom which is contrary to God's kingdom... And that's, that is an anathema to God. It, 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 it brings out His wrath towards me. And so what I need is a solution to the sin problem. I need something that continually and perpetually takes care of not only my sin, but the guilt and the shame that goes along with that. And you see, in the Old Testament, they, they continued to have to deal with their sin and their guilt and their shame. They could be forgiven. The Old Testament says that over and over again, you bring the sacrifice and you are forgiven through the blood of that animal. But your sin is not taken care of. Those bulls and those goats can't make you or I righteous. Nothing I can do to make my standing before God righteous. I continue to battle between the clean and the unclean, between feeling innocent and feeling shame and feeling guilt. And so those priests stood daily. And notice in, in verse 11 it says, every priest stands. And notice what happened when Jesus finished the sacrifice. He, what does He do? He sits. It's done. It's taken care of. The job is completed. He gave me what I needed. I, I don't think I understand that completely or my life would be completely different in every form and facet. I still struggle with sin and guilt and shame. But I long to understand that He gave me what I needed. I long for you to understand He gave you what you needed. A declaration of righteousness before a holy God. And that should bring joy into our lives. And I think the reason that sometimes we're not joyful is because we really don't grasp the true significance of that. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve His mercy. And yet He is merciful. And He is faithful. Sometimes we... And I heard this phrase this week again, and it sort of drives me up the wall. We apply these phrases to what God has done that just sort of don't quite get it. I heard someone this week use the phrase, God picked up the tab for me. No, He didn't just pick up the tab for you. Some of you may have read this week, there was a, a lady went into a Toys R Us in Massachusetts and paid off every layaway that was in the store. $20,000. 
wrote him a check. Can you imagine going in and, and you know, your hard-earned money and you're going to, and they say, that's been taken care of. What? Someone paid that. Person after person after person, right? But that's not what Jesus did, right? Because tomorrow those same people are going to have to go out and buy something else, right? And what about that, that poor soul who walked in two hours before her, right? Ah, if I'd have waited two hours, right? Jesus didn't pick up our tab, right? We didn't have this, this debt that he sort of, I'll take care of it today. That's a poor analogy. Right? He, he covered everything. Every evil thought, every careless action. And then all the guilt and the shame that's associated with those thoughts and actions and words. He said, Father, give those to me. Let me bear those and your wrath because of that. He gave us what we needed. Second, down in, in verse 19, He allowed us to draw near. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place because we are halfway decent today. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place because I'm married into the right family or because God's in a good mood today or because I didn't yell at my sibling or disobey my parents or honored my wife or sacrificed for my husband or helped out my neighbor. No, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way which He inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, His flesh. And since we have such a great high priest over the house of God. See, only the priest in the Old Testament could draw near. Only the priests could go into the temple proper and burn incense arrange the bread of presence on the table. And only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies and then just once a year and then only with blood. See, you and I were exempt from, from drawing any nearer than the outer court where we would bring our sacrifice to be offered on the bronze altar outside the temple proper. That was as near as we could get. Probably too near for some, but certainly not the intimacy of the Holy of Holies. But God allowed us to do that. Allowed us to come into the very throne room of God anytime we want to, individually or corporately, and come with confidence. Because our high priest sacrificed himself and then said, and calls us now priests. We are a kingdom of priests, the New Testament says. And so we have the ability and the access to be into his, in his presence. And that's good news. And, and we could walk out of here now and, and celebrate both of those facts. 
He has given me all that I need, and He's allowed me into the very throne room of God anytime I want to. And that's good news. But the question is, so what? The question we've asked is, Jesus is a certain way, and because we are His hands and feet, because we are the body of Christ, because He is a certain way and we're to be conformed into His image, that necessarily then implies something that we should do. That implies a response. So what is our response to those two things? First, there's a, there's a response of, of celebration, response of joy as we talked about just a little while ago. Do we praise God and worship God and are we celebratory with one another and just on our own in the quiet of a morning or an evening with God? Do we celebrate His that gift that keeps on giving day in and day out? Do we celebrate that? Will we be a joyful people because of what He's done? Second, do we give people what they really need? In other words, are we willing to forgive those who've offended us? Are we willing to forgive? Do we give them what they need? Because that's what people need. Are we willing to, to be an image of God and forgive people and then ultimately point them to the one that, that ultimately not only forgives but cleanses them from all unrighteousness? Will we be that kind of church? Will we be that person who's willing to forgive? Third, will we join in the sanctification process? Notice at the end of 14, for by one offering He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And that sanctification is, is this joint effort between the Holy Spirit who's conforming us into God's image and us being obedient and walking in the Spirit. And specifically, the writer of Hebrews thought it was important to give three ideas of what that looks like. He gives three commands after he gives us the wonderful news of us being able to draw near. And so in verse 22, the first command, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. So number one, do we draw near? One of the responses that we need to make is, do you spend time with God? Do you, do you make it an effort on a daily basis to enter into the Holy of Holies and spend time with God in prayer and in His Word? Is that part of your life? Are you taking advantage of the greatest privilege that anybody has ever known? Do you draw near? If you had an opportunity to have the ear of the king or the president or the governor or the mayor said, anytime you want, come in, let's talk. And you never took advantage of that. Someone might say, well, that was a foolish thing to do. And yet we have the opportunity to have the ear of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Do you draw near? Do you spend time with Him, learning from Him? And He's not an earthly king or president or governor or mayor. He's all-wise and all-powerful. He has all knowledge and all wisdom. He knows how you are made. He knows your strengths and your weaknesses. Why would you not draw near to spend time with Him? The second command, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. 
This is a, a mental action as well, in one sense. Do you hold fast your confession? Uh, I would think what we need to hold fast to would be the doors of the throne room so when we approach him, he doesn't just blast us to smithereens, right? And kick us out. But that's not what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, hold fast your, the confession of your hope. What is our hope? We sang about that. My only hope is Christ alone and what happened on the cross. And if my hope is in anything else, in anything else, then I'm wasting time and energy and effort. My only hope is what Christ did on the cross. That I'm forgiven. That I've been cleansed. I don't have any other hope for that other than Jesus. The third thing that we're to do is to encourage one another. Verse 24, the the fourth command, Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. God has made room for us in His presence. And so the question is, are we making room for other people in our lives? Are we encouraging one another? That's an odd noise. Something went away. Can you unplug something or turn something off? That's weird. That's better. One of the reasons that he follows up that idea of, of, of stimulating one another to love and good deeds, right? he wants us to make room in, in our lives for the people like he's made room in, in his kingdom for us. And he wants us to encourage one another to do that for each other, to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Love necessarily has an object, and that's God. So are we doing that for one another? And that necessarily requires us knowing each other. I can't encourage you to a good deed if I don't know what your gifts and talents already are. Which is why he says, don't give up the habit of meeting together. You can't just say, well, I don't need the body. I don't need to gather with other people. Because if I don't gather with other people, I can't know them. And if I don't know them, I can't encourage them to love and good deeds. I can't do what God has called me to do. I can't make room in my life for the people if I don't know them, and if I don't know them, I can't encourage them. So those are the responses we need to have to those truths. Are you celebrating the gift of the Son? Not just during this Advent season, but all year long. But are are you giving other people what they need? Forgiveness. Sometimes that's difficult to do because we have been hurt and wounded and injured in ways that are that other people might not be able to imagine. And yet that's what we've been called to do because he's forgiven us for the ways that we have treated him and one another. And then third, are we joining into the sanctification process by drawing near, by holding fast our confession, by trusting in Christ alone? 
and by spending time together as a body, encouraging one another to make room in our lives for other people as God has done for us. So as we celebrate this Advent season, may we do that with a proper response to who Jesus has been as our High Priest, um, who loved us and gave Himself for us. Let's pray together. Father, it is a, a joy to be in Your presence and to be in Your presence with Your people. God, I thank You for these, my brothers and sisters in Christ. And God, I ask that this week You would encourage them, that You would remind them of Your presence, that You would instill deeply in their souls what You have done for each of us through the cross of Christ. And then, God, open our eyes to see around us where uh, You would like for us to make room in our lives for somebody else. And in the process, help us to encourage one another. Help us to know each other better. Father, we love You and we thank You for the gift You've given us in Your Son. May He receive all praise and honor and glory. Not only today, but throughout the week. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.